0: You're listening to the First Nations Infrastructure Institute podcast. Audio conversations about First Nations growth and prosperity. Anything new since the conference that you, you want to bring up?
1: No, it was great to see you at the conference, Richard. It was, uh, I think, it's a uh, success to, to have a lot of people in person, which was, which was exciting after a couple of years of the pandemic. And to see people and hear about the good work that's being done by different communities across the country.
0: It was interesting, too, to see uh, speakers with the other national organizations talking so much about the value of infrastructure and how much more can be done across Canada.
1: Yeah, I always find it interesting. I mean, it seems to me, in a sense, the you know, the First Nations Fiscal Management Act, it's all about infrastructure, in a sense, you know, the tools that the other institutions have to support infrastructure projects, and it seems like... Uh, There's some communities that are doing incredible things. Um, And, you know, for the First Nations Infrastructure Institute, I think we're just hoping to support communities to do more of those things and uh, to provide some support where where it's needed.
0: Can you, for those people who might not be that familiar with uh, FINI, and that's the acronym we're, we're using here, take us back to the beginning and how the organization came about.
1: Yeah, so probably back in geez, 2016, 2017, there was a number of uh, First Nations that approached the First Nation Tax Commission. The uh, the Tax Commission has been operating for over 10 years, 12, 12 or so years. And of course, before that, it was the Indian Taxation Advisory Board. But, you know, the, the act's been working to a certain extent, but I think people were acknowledging that maybe there was still a few gaps and supports that could be improved, more tools put into the toolbox, as it were. And uh, in, around infrastructure planning, you know, some tools were identified that could be, could be helpful. And so the idea was to, you know, establish a fourth institute or ex- at least explore the idea for establishing a First Nation infrastructure institute under the act that could be a sister institution or, I know we were joking around saying probably more a cousin institution because it's an Indigenous group, but uh, uh, to be a cousin <laughs> institution to the other three that already exist and and uh you know after yeah the, there was a bit of research looking at well how does the current system work you know are there some challenges with the current system are there other ways to do things like we could do them to improve infrastructure outcomes it was a, a the, agreed i think that it was worth exploring the idea a little bit more at least and uh and to do that a development board uh, was formed and that was a, a group of first nation leaders who agreed to step forward to provide, you know, leadership and guidance as we continue to think about, well, if there was an infrastructure institute, what would it do? What would its mandate be? Um, How would it support communities? And really since that time, we've had a a few different streams of work, Richard. Um, One is thinking about what the mandate, you know, would be and how Finney, the First Nation Infrastructure Institute, we call Finney for short, of course, how it could be established in the act and what its mandate would be. Um, another stream of work was really supporting a project. So we call them proof of concept projects. And we have two that we're working on right now. One in Ontario um, with Kettle and Stony Point First Nation, which is a, a wastewater project. And another project in Atlantic Canada, your are part of the world, uh, with Buckingag First Nation, which is a water and wastewater project as well. And the idea was, well, let's see if we can support a couple of projects, even though Finney hasn't been established, that will maybe help us learn more about how to support those infrastructure projects. And then probably a third stream of work, uh, which we've had underway, which is you know, organizational development wise, what would Finney look as an organization once it's established?
0: You're right. I have uh, watched you in action with some partners out here on the East Coast, uh, Bakunke Mi'kmaq Nation and uh, and a third organization, Atlantic First Nations Water Authority, has also been involved there. So relationship building must be extremely important when you're starting out on a project like that.
1: Yeah, and, and that's great, great point. And I know uh, there's sometimes some confusion about uh, what all these different organizations do. It can be confusing. But the Atlantic First Nations Water Authority is a is a really exciting uh, initiative and organization. Now I think that's been the efforts have been underway for some years, and the idea being that uh, Atlantic First Nations Water Authority would uh, support those participating First Nations in in the operation of their water and wastewater systems. And so um, we've been working collaboratively with Atlantic Water Authority and Buckingham yeah, to see how. What is the inventory of existing infrastructure at Buckingham? What is needed to invest in that system to bring that infrastructure up to a certain service standard, for example, over the next 10 years? And then what is Buckingham's um, future plans? So do they want to expand or improve their water and wastewater system? For example, are there is there demand for more member housing? And so you need to expand the water system into places where there may be new housing built or Is there gonna be a need to expand the school or the health center? And do we need um, water and wastewater there? Or is there, again, you know, the Bayside Travel Center has been such a success. Is there gonna be a phase two of Bayside Travel Center? Um, And if so, how will there be water and wastewater to support all of those things? And so, yeah, it's a a really exciting project. I think uh, uh, really hopefully responding, I remember Back in 2018, meeting with Chief Prosper at the time, who was uh, chief of Gig at that time, and he said, "Well, we're planning this Bayside Travel Center. If we use some water, you know, for the Bayside Travel Center, how are we going to make sure we have enough for the community in the future?" And so I think, I think back to those comments, and I think that's you know in its basic form, that's really what we're trying to do is understand how there can be enough water and wastewater as the community grows. Mm.
0: Do you want to take a moment to talk about your Ontario uh, project?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, That's a really interesting project too. I think uh, community um, has about 100 member households uh, uh, that are connected to a wastewater plant, treatment plant. There's about 400 cottagers that are not connected. And the wastewater treatment plant that is existing was built in the 90s. It's uh, approaching the end of its useful life, its expected life cycle, and it's time for it to be replaced. The community members have participated in a comprehensive community planning exercise and they have identified some concerns with respect to public health and with respect to environmental protection. And that's because many of the cottagers um, have septic systems that are located close to the waterline of Lake Huron. And so one of the I think ideas was to explore the potential to connect those cottagers to the overall system, which would address, you know, some of the environmental and public health issues. Um, you know, and could support, I think, economic development, of course, having access to better quality services would would probably lend itself to better land values and rents that would be achievable. So that's the idea is to explore the option and uh, for replacing the existing wastewater plant uh, reconnecting members who are connected to the plant and then adding connections to these economic development, if you will, areas, which are cottagers, a little bit different than Buckingham economic development, but nonetheless still connecting them and making sure there's there's good good connections and good quality services. So, And, and associated with that, of course, is how do you pay for that? Um, you know, there may be some funding available from ISC for member households, but how do you pay for connecting the cottagers? And, and of course that's, I think where, you know, you explore all the possible options that are out there. You know, is there an option with the First Nations Finance Authority? Very well could be, uh, Are there other options like Canada Infrastructure Bank or other funding opportunities you can look for. And that's part of the work I think that, that Finney's excited to be part of is exploring, well, what are the options that are available?
0: Yeah, it sounds almost like you're playing the role of a facilitator in bringing all the key elements together to make something happen.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's that's right, and and certainly the nation's the decider. Um, we're just there to support and identify the options, and what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages of the various options, and the nation will decide what it wants to do.
0: You've got something interesting up on the website, and uh, you had a hard copy there at the conference, and that was a, a draft letter of support. Uh, if people see the merit of having your organization part of the Fiscal Management Act, they can uh, write in and, and help support you do that. Are you still encouraging people to do it?
1: Yes, please. Yeah, um, We're at a stage now where we're looking to have amendments made to the First Nations Fiscal Management Act to establish Finney. Um, and with that in mind, it'd be very much, it's very helpful to have demonstrations of support. I know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that probably people would want to learn a little bit more about before they're signing support letters. So we're certainly happy to, to, to reach out and make, you know, discuss with chief and council, for example, or, um, you know, if people are interested in having a bit more information, but there are, yeah, if you go over to FNII.ca, there's, uh, some resources there. There's a letter of support there.
0: Sure. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. Uh, along with the, now that you've got the two proof of concept projects on the go, are you, do you have capacity to, to take on another one? Or are you just waiting to see what happens with the legislation?
1: No, I, I I think we're, you know, certainly in a position to respond to communities that are interested in advancing their projects. One thing that I've found um, in the time that we've been working is it does take a little bit of time to really identify what the project is. So, you know, we, again, we are hopeful that Finney will be established in the Fiscal Management Act. But in the meantime, we're we're able to respond and do workshops and start talking about projects. And, uh, yeah, that, that I mean, it's good to start talking about where what kind of work you may have done already, what the project is going to be, and what the work is that you have ahead of you. So we're happy to talk about that.
0: What are some uh, common questions you get from community members when you when you do show up and introduce yourself? Is there any confusion about which organization is doing what? Are you part of the federal government? Are you part of the Assembly of First Nations?
1: Yeah, th- those are all certainly questions. Uh, how, what's the organiza- how, how does your organization work? Do we have to pay for services from Finney? Right. That's a common question. And the answer um, is? The answer is no. Yeah. Okay. So, so, uh, Finney is a, a national organization and, uh, we are grateful to the first nation tax commission who's providing some support for us to operate administrative support. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the funding for Finney is federal and, and we're able to provide services free of charge to first nations.
0: Okay. That's so cool. Uh, there's some discussion about a $30 billion infrastructure gap in First Nation communities. Uh, is that uh, current data as far as you know?
1: You know, that data is is a bit older now, I want to say. It's maybe like, geez, I don't know, five or seven years old, I think is an estimate I've heard around that number. I, I was at the AFN uh, this last summer in July in Vancouver, And there was an infrastructure dialogue session. And uh, at that dialogue session, the AFN was talking about work they had underway uh, to estimate uh, the cost to bring infrastructure up to uh, a certain level for all 634 First Nations in Canada and keep it there for 20 years. And the number that they had was more like over 70 billion. Uh, so part of that was in investment in capital, and part of that was O and M to maintain it at that level. Um, so it, it is a significant number. Uh, you know, it is a obviously a concern. Everyone knows that there's an infrastructure gap, and um, you know, I think uh, one of the things we're excited about with Finney is, uh, yeah, we're acknowledging that certainly there's a strong role for Canada to play in in funding, but also exploring other alternative options for funding and financing to try and bring that gap. And I know money is not the only thing, you know, I I think with infrastructure projects, it's also the, the process of of being able to work as a team, build capacity, um, transfer capacity to the community so that they're able to be managing projects and, and bringing forward those projects. So, um, you know, we think, uh, there's some exciting things uh, for Finney that Finney can bring to the table that would support communities as they, you know, in the, with their own infrastructure gap that they can see with their own eyes in their own community uh, mm-hmm. that they can close it.
0: Yeah. As uh, someone mentioned there, I don't know if it was Ernie Daniels or someone else, but it, it apparently it takes five times longer to get a project on the reserve shovel ready compared to elsewhere in Canada, which seems really bizarre.
1: Yeah. Uh, geez, I, I know we've been, I've participated in different studies and case studies of projects on reserve for over 20 years. Um, and certainly that's a common theme, uh, that things take a lot longer to happen on reserve. And of course, you know, the longer they take, there can be additional costs, right? Whether it's actual costs of professional fees, um, human resources uh, or also lost opportunity costs things that you you know you're losing revenue because it's taking too long for your project and your infrastructure to be built your economic development opportunity is gone um, so I think there's a number of of costs there that we certainly you know in some initial research that we had done by urban systems in the early days i was mentioning that sort of 2016 2017 time we had some similar conclusions you know and that was that uh, infrastructure on reserve takes too long to build Uh, it costs a lot and it doesn't last very long and those three factors are are problematic so I think the what we hope is with the the due diligence and the planning uh, and the rigor that we want to put around that including not only the construction but the operation and maintenance that we're going to have projects that are built on time. They're going to have better value for money and they're going to last for their expected life. That's our goal.
0: Can you give an example uh, of a project maybe that's only got one source of funding, maybe Indigenous Services Canada has decided to fund something and how that, you know, takes shape compared to something that you might be involved with down the road. Like what's the difference between old and new?
1: Yeah, so I, I think with a an Indigenous Canada uh, funded project, um, well, first of all, I think um, there's certain certain things that they would fund, and there's certain things that they would not fund. So so that may be an, an issue right off the bat. If you have a project that's not, you know, aligned with with the priorities they have, okay, you, you may not get funding for it. Um, and so you know, things like member housing. Um, that is a priority for, for ISC. And that's something that would, you know, potentially get funding. Um, and you would apply to ISC and, uh, have your, uh, investment plan, um, for infrastructure submitted with them. And you would go on a list and, um, you know, the, the, each region has its list of applicants and, um, some are in, more need than others. And so depending on that, they will do an allocation of funds to different projects. And, um, you know, unfortunately for the folks in the region, they have a budget constraint and they can't fund all the projects they'd like to in any given year. So you may or may not be up on the list and you may or may not get funding. And the challenge is I think being ready. So some communities may be getting ready to get funding. They do their feasibility study and, um, they put their name on the list, but by the time their name gets up the list, well, the feasibility studies, you know, out of date. And of course, today's environment, we know, you know, inflation and things. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a moving target for the cost. So then you're sort of back to the drawing board of, of, of updating the feasibility study. Mm-hmm. I think with the, the Finney approach, um, you know, we want to be bringing forward a financial case for a project that, uh, you know, it may, Uh, There may be some member housing and stuff that is funded by ISC, but also uh, acknowledging that there may be other priorities the community has, like Bayside Travel Center, for example, or Phase 2. You know, if that's coming forward, well, the nation may be able to uh, finance some of those activities using some revenue it can generate from the project. And with that in mind, uh, you can move at the speed of business. You can, uh, you know, move forward to uh, apply to the FNFA, for example, for... For funding and and move ahead on it. I think the, one of the exciting things too with um, you know with thinking about this approach is, is being able to incorporate both aspects, both the the is funded side and the the you know own source revenue funded side, because there may be opportunities to create a more efficient actual water system by having the one coherent system that serves the whole community, which may have some advantages not only just from being able to have a single system and not two separate systems where you have two operators and two of different things, but maybe there's some added value in terms of, you know, uh, ability of the system for fire suppression and things like that, for example.
0: So just as we, uh, wind things down, Jason, what do you see happening over the next couple of months and early on into 2023 for the organization?
1: Yeah, we're hopeful that there's going to be a, a consultative draft of proposed amendments to the First Nations Fiscal Management Act, you know, this winter. We look forward to seeing something from Canada in that regard. And uh, with that in mind, we want to be out talking to communities about whether or not they'd be interested in supporting uh, Finney to be established through those amendments. Um, certainly look forward to uh, Finney, you know, being stood up as an organization and and uh, being able to connect with more communities to do more projects, that's uh, the whole thing with Finney. Let's see if we can support more projects to get built.
0: Well, I can tell you that your colleagues out here at Buckingham, I mean, they get really excited when uh, when Finney's coming to town. Uh, the word gets around. Uh, so you've obviously struck things on a, a really positive note here. So At a personal level, what, what really turns you on about working with a, a small community to see them uh, realize their dreams
1: it's it's such a great experience working with community members that have great ideas and they have a vision you know for the community and to see them getting excited about realizing that vision it's just such meaningful work I think you know and Buckingham Ga of course is a prime example of that just so many exciting different things whether it's you know land code being involved a uh, membership engagement through the land use planning um, the economic development opportunities, the housing, the apartments, like like really uh, exciting things for the community and um, just to be a small part of that is is very exciting.
0: If some of our listeners want to follow up, Jason, and get in touch with you to learn out a little bit more, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, they can they can get in touch if they go again, go through the website and you can email at uh, info at finney.ca that will come right through to me. You can also send in an email to me at JKala.com at T-E-M-I-X-W.com, com. That's a Squamish word for land.
0: Okay, I'll put them both in there. Yeah. Good. Dynamite. Well, thanks for the overview. Awesome as usual. And uh, I know we'll be talking with you soon.
1: Okay, thanks, Richard.
0: Thank you. If you'd like to book a workshop to see how the Institute can support your nation, visit fnii.ca slash resources. There you'll find webinars and tools such as business case templates, procurement models, technical papers, and much, much more, all at fnii.ca slash resources. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening.